Good morning. I'm going to add to the announcements. Um, first of all, Sharon Straley, who many of you know, uh, she passed away. She's gone to be with the Lord. So her memorial will be on September 24th, and just so you know who that is. Uh, now, she is, the, she is um, Julie Richter's mom, and Julie lost her husband uh, this year also. So it's been a tough year for Julie, so you might want to pray for her. A couple other things. Um, the I, ho I hope that you'll consider the Tiny Heartbeats training, uh, just to re-up that thing. Uh, it's, just, it, it's very, very powerful. Uh, Charlotte and I, along with Garrett and John, are leaving this afternoon, we have to jet out of here, to go to a conference. So I would appreciate your prayers for us there, that we get there and we get back, okay? That's what I, I ask for prayer every time I get in an airplane, that we get there and we get back, okay? Um, the team's weekends, uh, Dale Dan is leaving, and we'll pray for you on Wednesday. Dale leaves for Africa next Sunday. So lots, not next Sunday? October, okay. Well, then we're not going to pray for you Wednesday. Is that all right? Okay. <laughs> a couple other things on my heart this morning. Number one, today is the 21st anniversary of 9-11 terrorist attack that happened in New York. 2,977 were killed, 2,753 at the World Trade Center, 184 at the Pentagon, 40 in, P in Pennsylvania, more than 25,000 people injured. We all remember that day as though it happened yesterday. So today is the 21st anniversary for that. Uh, that just, just reemphasizes for me again, this was a tragic, horrible thing. But then when I look at what's going on in our nation, the, the attacks have not stopped. And we're, we're being attacked from the inside out now. And so we need to be very, very vigilant in our faith to make sure that we're doing what we're called to do to be salt and light to our nation. Tuesday, November 8th is election day. Wednesday, November 2nd is our midweek service. I want to tell you this now. It's a little bit out. I get that. But uh, Wednesday, November 2nd will be our, our, is our midweek service. We're going to kick off a seven days of prayer and fasting leading up to election day. And then on election day, we're going to spend 12 hours in that room there, our segments to pray for our nation. We did that last election. We're going to do it this one too. Now, this also rises, raises up for me. On Wednesday night, we're going through the book of Acts. Two weeks ago Wednesday, we were in the book of in Acts 17, where Paul is in Athens. And it says that he's walking through there. He's waiting for Timothy to get there and some others. As he's walking around there, it says his, he was provoked because he saw the idolatry. I had never really thought of this passage as it connects now to some of the things that are on my heart and I think most of our hearts this morning. Our nation is a nation given over to idolatry. Idolatry is simply fashioning God to be in the image I want him to be, rather than who he's declared himself to be. And when a nation turns from God, that's what happens. There's idolatry. So in thinking about that, and Paul was there, and it says he was provoked. And I thought, you know, there are things that should provoke us as believers. When we look at what's going on in our nation, there should be things that provoke us. One of the things that's come up very recently, and we have till tomorrow, tomorrow also, to let our voice be known, is this, the Department of Education's redefinition of sex. Now, I don't know if you know anything about this, but we have some flyers on the back table. You can pick up and find out about it. We have today and tomorrow to respond to this. this, this uh, it's connected to Title IX, if you know anything about that, but it is, it is a, a total frontal assault by the devil to redefine uh, sex 
and then that everything else starts to fall, fall with it. So I hope that you'll pick one of those flyers up and that you will at least make your voice known. Okay, so with that, would you stand? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read the first nine verses. We're going to do a little responsive reading, and then we'll ask the Holy Spirit to bless his word again to our hearts. Hebrews chapter 10, I'm reading from the New King James. I hope you have a Bible or you have a device that you can read along with it, the word of God. Here it is, verse 1 of chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins, but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, verse 5, when he, Jesus, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. So in Psalm number 20, I'm going to read the first and odd verses. If you would join together reading the second, and then we're all going to take verse 9 together. Here we go. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the, Lord, of the God of Jacob defend you. May he remember all your offerings. And accept your burnt offerings, Selah. We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. All together. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. So, Lord, we call upon you. Even what we just shared in this tutoring program, bless that, Lord. May it be making a difference in these little lives. We pray for this whole thing that's going on in our country, all these different matters. We pray, Lord, knowing that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. There's a battle waging, and Lord, we want to stand in that gap, like you said to Isaiah. You, and during the days in, when the children of Israel were just in the same place, you said, why, I can't find someone to stand in the gap. Lord, this morning we stand together as believers. We pray, be merciful to our nation. We pray, Lord, bless what we're seeking to do to be salt and light in this crazy world. We ask, Lord, that you would bless the word as it goes into our lives. Give us, Lord, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So give us this morning ears to hear and, Lord, hearts that will obey you and will be surrendered to you and worship you. And, Lord, we just ask that in Jesus' name for, for, the, for your glory and our good. In, in Jesus' name, would you say amen? You can be seated. So from last week's study in Hebrews 9, when we talked about the service in the sanctuary, the law had to do with the tabernacle and sacrifices, as we looked at last week. 
This idea that you can separate God's commandments from his ceremonial law is entirely wrong. We looked at that last week. They're intricately connected together. If you want to return to the legal system and put yourself under the law, under the commandments, you had better build yourself a tabernacle and start raising some goats because that's what it requires. This is what the, the writer in Hebrews is bringing out. Jesus came as high priest to mediate the new covenant. Jesus became the executor of God's last will and testament, the new covenant. Jesus laid down the terms for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus laid down his life to put away sin. Jesus laid down his life to bear the sins of many. It was necessary. These are the terms for God's forgiveness for us, that we have a perfect substitute sacrifice. His name is Jesus. He's the only one, as we'll look at this morning. It was necessary that Jesus appear for us. We have no other. It was necessary for Jesus to appear to put away sin. There is no other means. These are the terms. We looked at last week. There, is, there are no other. Like it or not, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So it was necessary. You can agree with that or disagree, like it or not like it, but this is what First John, John wrote in his, in his first epistle. He said, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. He goes on, verse 11, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. Notice, he who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the only be of the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now notice this, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God, period. Continuing to believe. And I believe this is the emphasis the Lord's put on my heart for this book of Hebrews, that we continue to exercise our faith in believing that Jesus is the one mediator. He is our great high priest. He is making intercession for us. He's making the difference that we all need in our lives and in having a personal relationship with him. It's choosing to exercise faith and continuing to believe in him, the new covenant. Would you say amen? We must continue to exercise our faith in what is the truth. So these chapters, 8, 9, and 10 of Hebrews are preparing us for our much-anticipated tour of the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. So we're working toward the Hall of Faith. He's laying down these things and preparing us, taking these things into our minds, asking the Holy Spirit to bring them into our hearts, that we would be living our lives actively, living in relationship with Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest. So next week... We're going to look at Hebrews 10, 26 through 39. We're going to consider the fourth of the five warnings in Hebrews. So that's next week. But notice what Hebrews 10 ends with. We're going right into the hall of faith. It says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Continue to believe. Do not cast off your confidence in Christ, not ourselves. For you have need of endurance. So after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. I say, come Lord Jesus. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, 
My soul has no pleasure. Remember, this is the final verse words of this fourth uh, warning. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who, here it is, believe to the saving of the soul. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will yet be saved. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. We will be future saved from the very presence of sin. And I say to that one, amen. Lots of amens this morning to just start into our chapter. So this morning, this is an outline. If it helps you, great. If not, then you're going to see it again. Okay. Jesus is the one sacrifice for sins forever. Jesus is the one offering who perfects forever. Jesus is our full assurance of faith. Is that not one, aren't those not wonderful truths? He is the one sacrifice for sins forever. He is the one offering who perfects forever. He, Jesus, our full assurance of faith. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to. So, verse 1 through 4, the law, having a shadow of things to come, and not the very image. This shadow is a, a hazy outline. It's the sketch before the picture. It makes evident something other that is real. If there is no Christ, then, then there is no substance. There is no shadow. So it's only a shadow, the law, not the very image. The law also is always a reminder. These same sacrifices I've been talking about, all the goats, all the bull, these same sacrifices cannot put away sin. There's always a reminder in them that we are sinners. The law does that. They were offered continually. They never ceased offering them, only brought a continual consciousness of sins. So in other words, we can keep returning to our little sacrificial systems. How does that happen? Well, I ask myself, how long did I pray today? How many minutes did I read my Bible today? Who did I help today? It's not that these disciplines and doings are not important, good and right. They are. But they are not for God's sake. They're for ours. It's not to somehow win over God, but rather that he would win us over through his love for us, his work in our lives, that he would woo us in his steadfast love in his grace and truth. That's what it's for. So in Psalm 20, we just read it. The psalmist says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. He wants to. May the name of the Lord of God defend you, he, Jacob, defend you. He wants to. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. He wants to. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. Selah, think about them. May he do that. That's God's desire. The psalmist is praying according to God's heart. He wants to do these things in your life and in my life. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose, which brought to me the second scripture. Delight yourself also, Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and do what you want. God wants to bless your life. He wants to bless my life. So the law is a shadow. It's always a reminder, and it never brings remission. It can never. It's not possible. So Jesus... Can never The law can't take away sin, but Jesus came to take away sins, which is called the remission of our sins. Take them away. 
He is the substance. He offered himself a sacrifice. Verse 5, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. So the Septuagint was a translation of the Hebrew scriptures, Septuagint 70, 70 scholars into Greek. Most of the New Testament quotations are taken from this translation. Because, the, because of Alexander the Great, the Greek culture as well as a language became something that was worldwide. It's almost like English as far as the language goes. It became universal. So most Jews at this time were no longer able to either speak or read Hebrew. Thus the importance, their scriptures, the importance of this Septuagint translation. The reason I bring that up is because the, the writer is quoting from Psalm 40, which reads this. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ear you have opened. Burn offering and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. So in, in Psalms it says, my ears you have opened, but in Hebrews, but a body you have prepared for me. Now they might look, seem like two very different things, but they're not. They're speaking the same thing. They're talking about being obedient to the will of God. Doing the will of God. In the Gospels, eight times, Jesus repeatedly said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, what you've heard, what are you going to do about it? Eight times in the Gospels. In the book of Revelation, eight times to the church, he who has an ear, let him hear. James tells us, be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's what Jesus is saying. What you hear, what are you going to do about it? That's always the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we hear the word of God, and we begin to mullow, all of a sudden we start to, the light begins to shine down into the crevices of our selfishness and of many other things. It gets uncomfortable because God's not telling these things to be heard. He's telling them that we might be obedient to them. And that's what real hearing is. So James says, don't be doers, but hearers of, don't be doers of the word only, but don't be hearers, but be doers of the word. And then he says, deceiving yourselves. In other words, if you're not doing it, you're deceiving yourself. So it's expressing the idea that the body is the instrument through which the divine command received by the ear obeys. That's the idea. In Romans chapter 12, many of you are familiar with this passage. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Chapters 9 through 11 is all about the mercies of God to Israel. So Paul's saying to the in the book of Romans, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present what? Your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Same idea. Present your bodies. Jesus willingly laid down his life in submission to the Father to do his will. That's what prophetically in Psalm and, and what Hebrews is writing about. 
Jesus said in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Again, John chapter 5, verse 30, I can do of myself do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me, completely submitted to the Father's will. Powerful prophetic passage, many of them. Here's another one. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Now get this. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. We're talking prophetically about the cross. In fact, as you're reading through the book of Psalms, if you just begin to put yourself and, and think of the, the, many of the Psalms is the actual heart and, and voice of Jesus himself. Here's one of them in Isaiah. Jesus takes away the first that he may establish the second. So in verse 8, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offering for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Previously saying, you did not desire nor pleasure in them. This does not suggest, listen carefully, this does not suggest that the old sacrifices were wrong. Or that it was not possible to worship the Lord in sincerity and truth and receive the blessings of them in one's life. As we read the stories in the Old Testament, we read that God has no delight in those who offer their sacrifices apart from the obedient heart of a true worshiper. That's the difference. No amount of sacrifice can ever substitute for obedience. God looks on the heart, and that there is the transforming nature of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. God looks on the heart, and through the new covenant, he begins to work in us what to will and to do, as, he, as we're going to see in a moment in Jeremiah. We're going to read that again. When God told Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites, this is one of the classic examples of what we're talking about. Instead of doing what God told him, he spared the best of the sheep, oxen, lambs, and the king, King Agag, who came back later and could have possibly destroyed them. So in 1 Samuel 15... The word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, who he has turned away, turned back from following me, and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he, notice this is the heart of, of Samuel. It grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, he set up a monument for himself. I mean, here's the problem with Saul, the heart of Saul. He sets up this monument for himself. And he's gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Verse 13, then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? And lowing of the oxen which I hear. And Saul said, 
They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. Enough. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribe of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are, they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And here's Saul to Samuel, classic. But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, <laughs> the people took the, plund the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. And then Samuel gives these classic words we've heard before. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to, be, to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you, Saul, from being king. Sad, tragic. David got it. When David sinned against God in calculated adultery and calculated murder, and this prophet came to him, he writes Psalm 51, verse 16. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings, the sacrifices of God, or a broken spirit. These, O oh God, you will not despise. What's God looking for, brothers and sisters in the Lord? Repentance. Broken spirit. That God can do what he wants to do in bringing us to a greater submission and obedience in the things that matter in our lives. The prophet spoke these same words over and over about God's people. In Isaiah, what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Says the Lord, I have I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of camps. I, if I did... I do not delight in the blood of bulls. So God's just, through the prophets, we have to speak this continuously. And the spirit of the living God will continue speaking into our lives because God's not trying to ruin our fun. He's looking on our hearts. We can sit in church every Sunday. We can go through the motions, but our hearts, are they surrendered to God? We can sing songs and raise our hands and yet be living disobediently to God, not willing to hear what God's saying to our hearts. And the thing that happens, and God knows, the consequences follow. Consequences follow. God wants to bless your life. He wants to bless my life. He's not trying to ruin my fun. He's not trying to make me squirm. Except in repentance. <laughs> God cannot bless sin. If it doesn't matter how we live, then why did Jesus have to come and die on a cross? 
And God hasn't held back the clarity of what sin is. He tells us that. We know that. Our conscience bearing witness. God offers us godly character. Sin can only offer corruption. So in Galatians, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. Let's stay at it. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. We look at this before the warning comes in this chapter. Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Jesus came to make a difference in our lives that no one else could ever do. He came to save us from the penalty and the power of sin and to live lives of godly character and overcoming power. Jesus is the one offering who perfects forever. Verse 10, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every high priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, goats, bulls, which can never take away sins. But this man, capital M, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Jesus seated and waiting. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's what he's doing. Once for all, one sacrifice, one offering. Sanctified is used a couple different ways in the Bible. In Hebrews, it's used not as the process of being made holy, but you might compare it to justification as Paul uses the term. It's, this, it's used as, as what happens when the choice is made to receive Christ and the Christian is set apart for God in salvation. Sanctified. Jesus, once for all, one sacrifice, one offering, that once received changes our lives, and nothing or no one else can. Faith in him. There is no other religion in which one great happening brings salvation through the centuries and through the world, except Christianity. It's distinctive of the Christian faith, Jesus. No wonder the devil attacks as he does. A Christian psychiatrist whose lectures were very true to the word of God said this, the trouble with psychiatry is that it can only deal with symptoms. A psychiatrist can remove a patient's feelings of guilt, but he cannot remove the guilt. It's like a trucker loosening a fender on his truck so he won't hear the motor knock. A, pa a patient can end up feeling better, but have two problems instead of one. When a sinner trusts Christ, his sins are all forgiven. The guilt is gone, and the matter is completely settled through faith and forever. 
I hope if that's you this morning, you will receive that as a believer in Jesus Christ. And then allow him to do the healing. It's not this one-time, but allow God to heal you as he wants to in forgiving you. What tens of thousands of sacrifices could not accomplish, Jesus accomplished by one sacrifice, once for all, once forever. God has pleasure in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Once for all, one sacrifice, one offering for us. A teenage boy whose mother was away on a visit found himself with time on his hands. He decided to read a book from the family library. His mother was a devout Christian, so the boy knew there would be a sermon at the beginning, an application at the end of the book, but there would also be some interesting stories in between. While reading the book, he came across the phrase, quote, the finished work of Christ, unquote. He struck, it struck him with unusual power, the finished work of Christ. Why does the author use this expression? He asked himself. Why not say the atoning work of Christ or the propitiatory work of Christ? He knew biblical terms, but he didn't know the Savior. Then the words, it is finished, flashed into his mind, and he realized afresh that the work of salvation was accomplished. If the, he said to himself, if the whole work was finished and the whole debt paid, what is left for me to do? He knew the answer, fell to his knees and received the Savior in full forgiveness of sins. This is how Hudson Taylor, who is the founder of Child and Indian Mission, was saved. We have our own testimonies. There came a time when we realized Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left, sin had left a Christian saying, he washed me white as snow. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the power of the blood of Jesus. Verse 15 in Hebrews, the full assurance. But the Holy Spirit also witnessed us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant I'll make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, in their minds I will write them. The witness of the Spirit is based on the work of the Son and is communicated to us through the words of the Holy Scriptures. Jeremiah, he's quoting again. He already quoted him in chapter 8. And it's worth reading again, as, as he puts here now in our passage. He has their sins and their lawless deeds, I'll remember no more. What a glorious truth. I'll remember no more. I mean, if that doesn't make us stand up and shout, what does? God's saying, I remember them no more. And so I say, don't keep reminding him. Receive. He has forgiven and forgotten yours. He's term in terminology, it's over, done, finite. Now, where there's remission of these, there is no longer an, an offering for sin. There's, remember, no more, no longer an offering for sin. It's done. Therefore, verse 19, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest, the presence of God, how? By the blood of Jesus. Having boldness. He did not say looking for boldness. He did not say hoping for boldness. He says having boldness. That place of faith in Christ. We can come into the presence of God. We can live in the presence of God. Moment by moment. Because 
Once for all, one sacrifice, one offering is Jesus for me. Not only can we enter in, we can enter in boldly. The Old Testament high priest went in fearfully, as we looked at last week. He didn't know if we'd even come out, if it was all right. We come boldly because of the sacrifice of Jesus, his blood shed for us, verse 20. But by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is as far speaking of his death in our place. A new and living way, no more, no longer law and death, but having received mercy and grace through his love and his life once for all, one sacrifice, one offering, Jesus for me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's Jesus. What a radical statement. If it's not true, he's, in, he, he's insane. Verse 21, and having a high priest over the house of God. Not say hoping for a high priest. Not saying looking for a high priest. Having a high priest over the house of God. That's us, his family. Let us draw near. He gives these let us now three times. Let us draw near for let us draw near for full assurance of faith. With a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We're not looking for our hearts sprinkled and our bodies washed. We're not hoping for our hearts sprinkled and our bodies washed. We are having our hearts sprinkled and our bodies washed, which means my sin and guilt is atoned for once for all through the blood of Jesus, one sacrifice, one offering for me. It means my body washed. My life, your life as a believer, has been purified and prepared to serve the living God. Wow. Verse 23, let us hold fast for unwavering hope in the faithfulness of God. Confession of hope without waver, he who promises faithful. If there's any hindrance, it's not on God's side. He's faithful. Finally, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And we're going to look at this next week. But for the early church, they also had a problem with church attendance. Let's not forsake. The, this is such an, we're going to hit it less, next week, this warning. Let us not forsake. Because the very next verse says, for if we sin willfully. In other words, you get out of fellowship. You stop going to church. You stop being with the brothers. It's easier to sin. It's that simple. And the sanctification process of the Holy Spirit is wrought in the fellowship of the believers, in having, in gathering together. So I close with this comical, yet it so speaks about my life. When drugs are a good thing. I had a drug problem when I was a young person. I was drugged to church on Sunday morning. I was drugged to church on Sunday night. I was drugged to church on Wednesday night. I was drugged to Sunday school. I was drugged to vacation Bible school. I was drugged to the family altar to pray. I was also drugged to the woodshed when I disobeyed my parents, told a lie, brought home a bad report card, and did not speak with respect. These drugs, quote unquote, are still in my veins. 
and they affect my behavior in nearly everything that I do and say and think. I am so thankful that my mom and dad made me go to church. And it wasn't that I was sitting there going in rapt attention. No, I was, well, there's always a hand that reached around the back pew and did this. I want to say to moms, dads, grandpas, grandmas, there is nothing that's more important than you be consistent in your fellowship with believers. The statistics are there. The difference it makes when you come to church and you sit together and your children come with you on a consistent basis over the years, What's that, what that's building in is when you raise up a child the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. Now, that is not a promise. It's a principle. So what, what that's saying in my mind, you put it in there, God's word, the truth, the light, you put it in there, it's still there. It may lay latent. It may get buried in a lot of the rubble that the world's going to put on it, but it's there. And, the holy, and I pray for my own children. Say, Lord, could you just let a little sliver of light slip up for just a moment? That truth, those differences, you've heard it said, well, we can just, we're going to let our children decide for themselves. That's like taking your garden and saying, I'm just going to let my garden grow by itself. It's never going to happen. Weeds take over. That's what happens. That's why, as far as the tutoring program, what we're doing there with our children, our children's ministry, which I hope you're praying. We're, in, we're going to be having a transition. Mrs. T will be uh, retiring at the end of this year. We're, we're praying and interviewing people. We want our children's ministry. We understand. We get it. And this pandemic has so exposed the evil things that are being perpetrated against these young lives. And we here have an opportunity. I believe we're making a difference. We've got to stay at it. So we'll pick this up in our next study. Would you stand with me as the worship team comes out? Lord, we just want to bow before you. Some things in these, this study that, came, that just begin to, again, nudge my heart in a direction of hearing and believing and obeying. So Lord, we do not want to become dull of hearing we do not want to begin to drift away as Hebrews has warned us. So, Lord, I pray and ask in Jesus' name for my own heart, for each heart as we're listening to your word, you give us ears to hear. You'd give us that heart to obey, no matter what, because, Lord, you know what you're doing, and you can do it like we never could. So bless this word to our hearts as we worship you in song now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.